0: That's no moon, that's a space station. Episode 28, the perfect number. Fun fact about the about the number 28, it has a it's in a special classification in mathematics. Perfect numbers are positive integers that are equal to the sum of their proper positive divisors, excluding the number itself. So for example, for 28, its proper divisors are 1, 2, 4, 7 and 14, and if you add those numbers together, you'll get 28. <laughs> The concept of perfect numbers has been studied for thousands of years and is attributed to the ancient Greek mathematicians. The next perfect number after 28 is 496. There aren't many known perfect numbers and they become increasingly rare as you go up in the number line. So episode 28, the perfect episode, we're going to call it Perfect 28. Never heard of this one before, but glad you're all joining us today. It's fucking thunderstorming. we got a tornado warning out there. The trees are blowing around. You might hear some thunder in the background. The lights might flicker and if this gets deleted somehow you might not even hear this because i'm just going to re-record so uh, with that being said we're going to move keep this train rolling we got a nice little movie review actually it's going to be a documentary review today as i finished the documentary on jared fogle at subway pervert but we're going to get into that after we hit you with this date oh, in history This date in history, June 16th, in 1884, the first roller coaster in America was opened to the public at Coney Island in Brooklyn, New York. Known as a switchback railway, it was the brainchild of LaMarcus Adna Thompson, who was later referred to as the father of gravity. (laughs) The roller coaster was approximately 600 feet, approximately 183 meters in length and had a height of 50 feet or 15 meters, and the cars traveled at a leisurely pace of 6 miles per hour. Riders enjoyed a breathtaking view of the ocean before being pushed manually by employees to to return to the starting point. It cost 5 cents per ride and it quickly became a popular and thrilling attraction. 5 cents per ride, a nickel's worth of a ride. Go to Disney. It's like two grand easy you're going to spend when you go to Disney. So prices of inflation, baby. That's what happens. This innovation marked the beginning of the roller coaster craze in America. Thompson's invention sparked the development of more complex and exciting roller coasters across the world. Forever changing amusement park entertainment. Appreciate that. Thompson, I love roller coasters. I think roller coasters are sweet. I used to be scared the fuck out of them, but I think they're fucking awesome. So uh, they're always a fun time. So that's this date in history. And then, like I said, we got our mo- we got our movie review or documentary documentary review, I guess, and we're gonna get right into that. completely overproduced i know right like way over the line 45 second it was a 45 second 10 second countdown so completely overdone but you got to do what you got to do anyway i recently watched over the last two days the jared fogel story the uh subway pervert it's on max formerly known as hbo max jared from subway catching a monster documentary i think it's a three episode four episode series um it gets into pretty much how jared fogel went from the for a minute there he was probably the most famous person in america for like 14 years everyone knows him as the jared the subway guy and then just like that he pled guilty to child porn Um, and not just child porn this documentary goes deep into the weeds on recorded phone conversations text messages his whole scheme on how the hell he did it Uh, pretty much he was living a double life which most of these perverts usually are and how a a conglomerate of people around him all kind of fell into place and it was like the axis of evil where it was a bunch of scumbags that he didn't know because he's very naive because he's like a small town kid didn't know these people were kind of sketchy and it all just became One person found another sketchy person and they all just kind of fed into each other and it escalated into this huge thing. So for those of you that don't know, Jared Fogle is often known as the subway guy. He's the former spokesperson for subway and he became famous for his significant weight loss attributed to only eating Subway sandwiches. He was born in 1997, December 1st, 1997, in Indianapolis, Indianapolis, Indiana. Fogle grew up in a Jewish household. Don't know why that's even necessary to mention. He attended North Central High School in Indianapolis and went to the Indiana University of Bloomington. He graduated in 2000 with a degree in management and international business. So how he became associated with Subway... Um, At the time, when he was in college, he was 425 pounds. And in the documentary, they they do a good job of interviewing people when he was a kid that were in school with him. And they're like, yeah, he was a loser, basically. He was fat. He sat on his own. He was just... An outcast, loner. They was every time you hear the word "oh, this person's a loner," it means they have no friends. So they say he was a loner. Uh, he was just a fat kid. No one hung around him uh, in college. He was 425 pounds, and he had a size 60 waistline. Like, this dude was big, and they sh- he's tall too. So like, it wasn't. He's a big dude in these pictures. Concerned about his health, he he decided to try to lose weight. He lived near a Subway restaurant and developed a diet plan that consisted of a six-inch turkey sub for lunch and a full-length veggie sub sub for dinner, both without cheese or mayo, and supplemented his regimen with walking. Fogle managed to to lose 245 pounds in a year following this diet and exercise routine, which is... Shout out to his exercise. 245 pounds is a fuck ton of weight to lose. I mean, I guess when you have that much weight, so what is it? He was, quick maths here, 425, and he lost 245, so he got down to 200 pounds. 200 pounds is still pretty big, but again, he's like 6'5". Like, he's a big guy, or at least he looked really big. I don't know, he's at least 6'3". Anyway, and then he became famous because a friend at the school wrote an article about his weight loss and published it in the Indiana Daily Student and caught the attention of Men's Health magazine. The magazine included Fogel in a piece on unusual diet tips, which was read by a Chicago-area Subway franchisee who alerted Subway's advertising agency. As a result, in 2000, Fogel was featured in a Subway commercial that showcased his weight loss story. His personal story resonated with the public and he quickly became a central figure in Subway's advertising campaigns. There was a stretch there from 2001 to about 2013 I guess 14 when he got, when he was in, when he was in court. You literally couldn't go a day without seeing at least five ads with this guy in it. He was literally all over the place. Like he was Jared the Subway guy. That was it. He was Jared from Subway. And he, everyone knew he had the big ass pants he'd hold up. He would like stand in one leg and have the other leg held out so you could see how much weight he lost. Dude was everywhere. And what made him appealing was that he was like an average Joe. Like he was just kind of a doofus. Like he, if you talk to him, he. He always sounded like he had, um, he always sounded like he had a stuffy nose. He was very nasally. He was like, "I'm Jared from Subway." <laughs> like he was fucking, he was just like a doofus kind of, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, he got better in public and all this stuff, and on the commercials. But he was—he was on Oprah. He was there's pictures of him shaking hands with George W. Bush, who was the president at the time. Um, he was on The View, like everywhere. It was—it was here's Jared from Subway, and everyone knew who you were talking about. And then, so for this stretch of time, he was obviously the face of Subway. And the documentary goes into—you could see them setting up all these pieces to like his eventual downfall. So they get involved with. They set the pretext for everything. They're like, he had this alternate lifestyle that no one really knew about. And there's like ominous music, you know, it's, it's, that wasn't the ominous music I was going for, but there was ominous music. And then they were like, he started the Jared Foundation, which was in charge of, or their like mission was to educate children on eating healthier at a younger age. And this is when you start getting um, accounts from P- uh, this one lady who was dating him at the time, or like he took an interest in her. She was a reporter, radio host, journalist type. Um, she started to, he started to find interest in her. Her name was Rochelle Herman Walrand. Rochelle Herman Walrond. Um, she's from Sarasota, Florida. She reported that Fogle made inappropriate comments about middle-aged school girls Tour her and there's a clip in the documentary of them sitting on a couch together before they do an interview and the cam the mics aren't on yet it's just the camera and according to this lady and you see it on the camera he leaned over and he said to her man those middle those middle school girls were really hot weren't they and then like the like, action and then they start talking and she's like blown away by what he just said and then she has to like do an interview like professionally and she like it from that point on it doesn't sit well with her she's like i gotta look more into this because he's going school to school all over the country with his foundation and with subway being like oh yeah you know i love the kids and eat healthier and you know come talk to me about it type thing and he's just kind of once she saw like that little side of him she put she started putting the pieces together basically so she goes to the fbi And she's like, I have recordings of him saying creepy shit about girls. And it's not just like, oh man, that girl has a PG 13 body or something. He's not saying like stuff like that. He's blatantly saying on these calls, like, oh man, I would love to have sex with a 12 year old. Like they're so hot and I wish you were 12 years old. And yeah, like it's my dream to have sex with 10 year olds. Like the youngest I would go was like seven, eight. And it's like, it's creepy because like you see this dude and you're like, it was Jared. Like, and they show commercials of him in it like the same day filming a commercial. And then later that night, he's on a recording talking about having sex with children and you're like what the fuck man so she takes these recordings and she brings them to the fbi she sits down with them she's like look this is jared from subway and i'm not trying to like take him down because he's famous. Here's the recordings I have. She plays the recordings for the FBI. The FBI is like, this is fucking obviously a problem. However, we can't use this because in Florida, you can't record somebody without them knowing it. So we can't use this in court. However, you, now, we, now that he's on our radar, you can continue to record him, but you have to say before you record him, I'm recording this because I'm investigating this. As if she's part of the FBI. So there's like a little um, loophole there that they started to use. Um, This went on for a little bit. And she's like leading him on as if they're dating. But he's traveling all over for Subway. So he's never really around in the same room as her. And he's like, she's like, oh, well, you know, tell me more about your fantasies and all this stuff. Like they're having like phone sex, basically. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to get these underage girls. I'm going to Thailand because it's legal there to fuck 12 year olds. And I just want to pound a boy's ass. Like graphic. It is really graphic, the shit he says. And it's not like a reenactment. He's really saying this on... And she's recording it. And she gets like... The documentary kind of turns where... It's about her, which I get. She's like, I have PTSD and this ruined my life. Anyway, the FBI tells her they can't use anything. They weren't able to proceed with the case based on the recordings alone. So they start looking into everything around him. Like you start looking around, eventually he's going to slip up. And they look to um, Russell Taylor, who was in charge of the Jared Foundation. So Russell Taylor, they say it right away in the documentary. And you can just look at him. Like I said yesterday with the vibes, you could tell right away the vibes are off with this guy, something. Up And they start doing an investigation to this guy because he got reported for saying something creepy about someone's kids not too long ago. So they're like, we got to look into this. So the investigation into Russell Taylor, Um, he is the former director of Fogel's charity. And in he got arrested for he texted a woman about especially he texted a woman a video of an explicit video involving a minor in the documentary they don't really they say the videos was, it was he was filming children in their bedrooms and the lady he was dating at the time it was her kids so he had cameras like set up in their rooms and he like said it to this lady texted this lady a video of it and she was like I'm not into that I'm going to report you now so they do an investigation they raid his house and they found 500 videos of child porn and some of them were produced in his home. So this kid, this guy was having p- kids come to his house to film porn or whatever. And you're like, how does this involve Jared Fogle, right? It's just the guy that he hired. How does this work? So it turns out that Russell Taylor and Jared were like traveling all over the world, going to countries where this is legal and just banging kids. And then they came back to America and they're like, we can't keep spending all this money going to Thailand all the time. So we got to figure this out. So they low key Russell Taylor, who was like a wannabe video producer, videographer type was installing cameras in like locker rooms and his girlfriend's kids' bedrooms and his or it's it's actually his wife at this point. And she's involved she's she's all about it she's got like her kids she has two daughters at this time they were like 10 and 11 or like 10 and 12 and he's they're texting each other like we should have sex with your daughters and she's like i can set that up i just we just need to work them you know like loosen them up to the idea and like these are 10 and 12 year olds you know what i mean like these are these aren't And it's not that that's okay anyway you shouldn't fuck your kids but it's not like they're even close to anything as adults and the mom is involved and it's a single family. So it's just creepy. So he sets up these cameras in there, in this these girls' bedrooms. And they're in- interviewing the two girls they are older now. And apparently there was cameras all over the bedroom. And he would leave like laptops open. He'd be like, oh, I left something in your room for you. He left like a dildo in there with like lingerie and porn playing on a laptop and was like, just watch that and, and like talk to me later. So they were kind of like grooming these kids to have sex with him. So they find all this out. And then it's like, how does this tie to Jared Fogle? He's just the... in charge of this foundation so they had enough at that point to be like all right well jared is kind of close to this guy and he is over a lot and they call him uncle jared and all this stuff so he's got to know something so they start looking at him Meanwhile, the person I mentioned earlier, Rochelle Herman Walrand, she has all this evidence that FBI is not doing anything about it. The cops aren't doing anything about it. She goes right to the news. She gets interviewed by, it's like ABC6, Florida, some shit. She gets, while this is happening with Taylor, she gets interviewed and she's like, Jared's a pervert. Like, I have all this evidence, play the tapes. They play the tapes on air. And basically at that point, FBI is like, we got more than enough. So they raid his house. And again, he's a bumpkin from fucking Indiana. He doesn't know how to hide information or hide evidence. This dude's got cell phones and laptops and hard drives and USB fucking sticks of porn all over the place. Like his whole house. And he was married too, which is crazy. I mean, it's a massive house. So maybe he had like an office or he was hiding. Anyway, doesn't matter. He had all this shit. He had like, I think they said like, 50 terabytes of child porn like when like text messages and videos and like he's blatantly saying in text messages like bring that kid over bring that kid home he's texting prostitutes in New York and LA Vegas Florida like I know you got can you send me someone younger than 18 like do you dabble in that I'll pay you double I'll pay whatever it is to get you know a 14 year old it could be a boy it could be a girl I just want to pound him out like weird crazy shit and you're like this guy and you look you like but like I said yesterday with the vibes the vibe was was off with that guy, kind of from the beginning. You're like, that, he kind of looks like a pervert. Um, so he gets inv- he pleads guilty right away. Like, there's one of the, the prosecutor was like, there was so much evidence that there's zero shot unless the evidence was mishandled, which it wasn't. There's no way this guy isn't going down for this. So they were like, we got him. He pleads guilty. He pleads guilty in 2015 on charges of sexual offenses against minors and child pornography. His criminal activities led to his immediate dismissal at Subway, obviously, and destroyed his public image. And he was sentenced to 15 years and 8 months in prison, which is more than 3 years recommended by the prosecution and settled upon with his his lawyer. So him and the, the his lawyer and the prosecutor got together and they're like, "All right, we'll settle for 12 years," I think they said, or 13 years. <laughs> We'll go that we'll go to the judge with this, and we'll be like, "This is what we settled on. This is what we, this is what's fair." We think, and the judge was like, "No, no, no. This dude's a pervert. We're gonna put him in for an additional three years." So you got a th- additional three years added on top of that because the judge was like, "This dude's a fucking creep." It's not even. There's no. It wasn't even blatant. It wasn't even hidden or like a little bit of child porn. It was like massive amounts and a whole ecosystem built around it behind the scenes. And the judge was like, no, this is, this is sophisticated. This isn't just like he banged a 17 year old. This is sophisticated child grooming, porn, molesting the whole thing. So, and the judge was also pissed and they explained this in the documentary pretty good that his defense was he had compulsive sexual disorder. They call it some some weird scientific term, but they said once he lo- lost weight, he had this confidence and he didn't know what to do with it and slowly but surely like he kept getting re- positively reinforced towards sex, younger and younger girls because he was always ugly and he never had sex when he was younger. So he got to get younger and younger and it kept getting reinforced and the judge was like that's thin man like that's we're not doing that there's no such thing as they called it weak pedophilia is what the defense kept saying and the judge was like that's not a fucking thing like and they had other experts being like that's a made up term like there's no such thing as weak pedophilia like even you either you're a pedophile or you're not and the judge was like all right an additional 3 years on top of that and as of Today he's still in jail. He has another five years. He gets out March twenty fourth, twenty twenty nine. So six years left. A little less than six years left in federal prison for being a fucking pedophile. Uh, So the documentary, I think I said it was like three or four parts. It wasn't. uh, It was actually pretty good. I would say they could do a little less. They could have done a little less on Rochelle Herman Waldron, that lady, the journalist lady that was like leading him on. It turns into like her show eventually and I get it she's like the main character in this whole thing like she's the one that knew about it the longest and she was trying to get she was the first person to try to expose it but it kind of feels like she's having her moment in the sun uh, they did a pretty good job of, like, letting her, like, fake... She did this point where she was, like, fake crying. And, like, it is traumatic. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying she doesn't have PTSD from it or anything. But there's a point where she's trying to cry, and it's not happening. And she, like, puts her hands over her eyes. And she's, like, pulling out her eyes to, like, make them water. And it's just not working. And I'm like, they got it. They should have edited that shit out. because She clearly was trying to cry and couldn't muster it up. Uh, the one really fucked up part was... If we go back to the Taylor guy, um, Russell Taylor, so I kind of glossed over this one, but he married, so the lady he married, right? She had the two daughters that he was spying on. They used to be like a church going every Sunday, going to services during the week, no drinking, no drugs, all this stuff. And for some reason, this guy, Russell Taylor, was able to meet her on Facebook, seduce her, obviously, like they fell in love, they got married, and then convince her that, It's okay to have sex with your daughters and she should let the daughters have sex with him, even though they were like 10 and 12. I'm not saying it's okay if they were like 16 or 17, but if they were 16 or 17 or something, again, not okay. But it wasn't like they were going to be 18 eventually. Oh, you're going to be 18 next year. Your daughters are hot type of thing. This wasn't that. This was like, he was clearly going after children, like 100% he's going after children. And then he's filming them. Like they, the FBI said they found like 20 cameras in one room in one of the girl's rooms and the other room had like 50. Teen cameras like every angle of the bed was and it wasn't even the girl so the girls were like it wasn't even us he was filming he was filming us all the time which is disgusting and creepy it was the other friends she's like we had to tell our friends and our friends parents that while you were over our house you were being filmed while we were like getting changed and like they say it in the video in the documentary like we were teenagers like we were exploring our bodies and stuff like you know things are happening hormonally and you know, she's like, they were, she's like, the one girl was like, I was old enough. I was masturbating at this time. And like our friends would come over and like, we would do what girls do on sleepovers at that age and she's like now i have to tell all these people that you were being filmed in my house and it just she's like it destroyed my entire life and i felt bad for that i was like that's got to be like the worst thing ever next to obviously being filmed like the second worst thing is you're losing all your friends and everything because you had a fucking pervert living in your house that and the daughters say they knew the whole time but i was like you were 10 and 12 how the fuck would you know but they said it was like known that he was creepy, like they, they had the vibe, like I, like the vibes. They, were like, it's, they knew something was off with him. But again, they were younger and the mom was like, no, he's fine. You know, he's he's good to go. Like, it's you know, I love him and he's going to he's supportive and all this stuff. So that was like the worst part of it. They didn't do a good they didn't really go into that that much. That would have been good if they would have had like an extra episode on that family. Because the mom got arrested. Obviously, Russell Taylor got like 28 years in prison. And they explained it like briefly in it. But they, they go to the two daughters now that they're older and they're like, Yeah, it's it's completely fucked up our lives. Like they can't trust anybody. And they just they're normal-ish, but you can tell obviously like we don't talk to our mom. Obviously, she's in prison and fuck that lady. She ruined our lives. But it's definitely worth a watch. It keeps you hooked. It does all the things it's supposed to do. Like even on Max, because there's no commercials, you could tell when there's commercial breaks because they like leave you hooked. They they give you like and and they hit like the play button on the on the answering machine, and then it go it cuts off, and you're like, damn, I gotta keep watching now. But it does expose this guy for a pervert. And he was doing it for, he says, according to like his lawyer, he didn't start doing that shit like fucking children until he got famous. So, but even Stent, so let's just say he was famous for 14 years with Subway. Let's just say cons- he was doing it for at least eight years. You know what I mean? Like at least eight, probably longer than that. And it just went under the radar. Then they were trying to say like Subway knew, but they didn't want to do anything. Or like they just turned a blind eye. They're like, I don't know what that guy does on his free time on his free time but he's making us a shitload of money so let's not look into it too far because there's no way you're putting this person up in hotels like the plaza hotel in new york and you're not keeping an eye on him he doesn't have a body not that he needs a bodyguard but like you don't have a pr person around him like he leaves the hotel to go out at night and you don't have like where's he going you know you should you figured he would have had a body man back then to be like hey where are you going buddy you need a ride you know what i mean like you have a like you're the most important person to subway's brand at this moment and we don't know where you're going at night so they're like subway definitely knew either they just turned a blind eye or they just were really good at keeping it over there and not letting it touch the company so they should probably do a documentary on that whole thing like if subway actually knew but we'll never find out but good thing this guy's in jail cuz he's a fucking pervert like i said and Obviously, it's obvious now because he's been in jail for a little more than half his time. So I recommend it. There's another one, another documentary I'm getting into now, um, American Pain or America in Pain. It's about two dudes um, that just took advantage of the whole opioid crisis in Florida because Florida's Florida and you during the opioids, you can just go down there and get drugs without a prescription and shit. So uh, looking into that one and uh, yeah, we're going to switch gears out of the movie review Keep this train rolling. But yeah, highly recommend watching it if you can. It's not that long. I think each episode's maybe 40, 45 minutes, three episodes. Or you can just listen to me talk and uh, you got the whole gist of it. And then we're here for the question of the day to wrap this bitch up before we get blown away by a tornado. If you could invent something that would make life easier for people, what would you invent and why? a robot, an exact replica robot of myself that's doing everything that I'm currently not doing. You know what I'm saying? So if you can invent a robot that's exactly just like me, has the same mindset, everything that I'm doing, but it's doing things, I it's the tasks that I can't do. So say I go for a run in the morning, right? And I mean, not to toot my own horn or anything, but right now I'm training to do a half marathon, hopefully by the end of the year, if my knee decides to hold up, but we can get into that later. I'm going out for a run, seven miles takes like an hour, You know what I mean? Like, it's a fucking... It's a lot. Or like I say, I just want to go to the gym or grocery shopping or some shit. Whatever I'm doing, I'm going to do something and it's taking time away. The AI or the robot can, like, walk the hound, do the dishes, do the laundry, stream on Twitch for me, can record a podcast for me. It's doing everything I'm not doing at that moment or while I'm at work. It's like mowing the lawn. It's fucking getting the oil change. You know what I mean? Like it's doing all the things I can't do because I'm obligated to go do something else or like I'm doing something else at the time. So like right now I'm obviously recording a podcast, but the house has to get cleaned. So this thing would be cleaning the house or whatever and then once I get up and I'm like, "Oh, I'll clean or whatever." I start cleaning, it'll go do something else. Like, oh, it's going to go do the laundry or, you know. So yeah, definitely a robot that can do all the tasks that I'm currently not doing. And it what would be a good feature is that it doesn't double up on the task. So say I I myself clean the house, right? It's and then I leave to go grocery shopping or go to work. It's not just gonna start cleaning the house again because it's like oh I have to clean the house. It's a part of my like it knows I already cleaned it, so it's not gonna clean it. It's gonna be like oh we have to do something else now. I'm gonna go like whatever clean the bathroom or mow the lawn. It's not gonna double up just because it thinks it needs to. It's gonna know what not to do because it's already done or it doesn't need to get done at the moment. But definitely a Robot that can do everything that I can't do and it's doing it 24-7. That'd be bad fucking ass, man. Imagine having a 24-hour version of yourself that doesn't need to shut off or rest or anything and it's just going. It'd be kind of creepy. wake up in the middle of the night and this thing's fucking, you know, walking around. You just hear footsteps the whole time. I guess it would have quiet mode. There'd have to be some settings you have to adjust. But yeah, if I could invent something that would make life easier, it would be another a replica of myself that's doing all the things that I can't currently do. But it'd have to have like my mindset, you know? Like there's, thing, there's stuff I want done a certain way and this thing's going to do it that way, you know? So that's how I would do that. And I actually like that question, you know, because I had a pretty good answer. That was right off the rip. I typed in chat GPT, random question of the day. And this is the one that hit me with. So hopefully everyone has a good, if you have a four day weekend or a three day weekend, or you just have a normal weekend, hopefully it's a good weekend. I think Father's Day is on Sunday. So shout out to all the dads out there. <laughs> out to all the pair and um yeah we'll see you guys next time appreciate the subscribers the listeners the views on youtube twitch substack twitter the whole nine and um we'll leave you at that so let's go yankees